0: Genesis chapter number 46, and let's begin our reading in verse number 28. The Bible says, And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck. And wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, my brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, what is your occupation? That ye shall say, thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. The next few moments, I'd like to preach to you a message about this place called Goshen. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4 these words For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have. I have to tell you that the settling of God's people, his chosen people, just a just a, a family at this point in time in history, their settling in Goshen, I believe, gives us hope and comfort even today. You see, Goshen was more than just a location on a map. Goshen was more than just a territory or region in Egypt. Joseph choosing to settle his family here was was more about just the simple fact that he didn't have anywhere else for them to go. God had promised Jacob that he would He would use their time in Egypt. We talked about this last week, that he would use his time there to make his people great. We read of that in verse number three, that he would make them a great nation in Egypt, that he would be with them in Egypt, the Bible says in verse number four of this same chapter, and that someday he would bring his people out of this place, according to to verse number four. He would do all of this, and Goshen would play a very prominent role as it would be the place, that God's people would dwell for more than 400 years in this time in which they would be growing and God would be with them and they would be looking forward to the promise someday, someday soon, we're coming out of this place. Can I remind you that the call of God, listen, the call of God is not to a geographic location, the call of God is not even to a group of people. The call of God, listen, is a call always to himself. In other words, I'm not not following God to Cleveland, Ohio. I'm following God to be following God. If God wants me in Cleveland, so be it. If God wants me to minister to the people of Cleveland Baptist Church, so be it. But it's really, to be frank, it's not about you. And for you, it's not about me. It's about him. And it's about doing what God would have us to do. More than 26 years ago, I left Cleveland, Ohio, a place that I was born and a place that I was raised, a place that I loved, and I, and I moved to a to a town in Knoxville, a town called Knoxville, Tennessee. I have to tell you, never dreamed that I would live in the South. I'm not a Southerner. I'm a Yankee. You know, I was, I was born in this is, you know, this is all I've, this is all I've ever known. And and moving there was a little, was a little unusual. I had to get used to a new community where things were located and sort of a new culture and a new way of life. You know, they do things a little differently down there than we do them up here. We still spoke the same language most of the time. We spoke the same language. Every once in a while, and I'll say that again, and and I have to tell you that we you know we think that we don't have an accent, but we do. Clevelanders have an accent. We say things a certain way. Some of you are from not from around here, you're nodding your head, going, "Yep, that's exactly right." And uh, and 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 I remember I remember moving to Knoxville, Tennessee, and and uh, and, I, and I've been thinking a little bit about that that stop in my life's journey the the last few days. It was earlier this week that uh, our pastor, when we were there in Knoxville, went home to be with the Lord. He died on. Tuesday evening and I've been thinking some about my time there and and what it was that the Lord taught me while I was living in Knoxville Tennessee I put down a few thoughts of some things that the Lord taught me just by way of introduction can I just kind of reminisce just a little bit with you and can I share some of the lessons that the Lord taught me in this place I learned, I learned in Knoxville as a, I went there as an 18 year old young man. I learned in those four years, I learned how much I still needed to learn. (laughs) You know, I left here, I left here to go to Bible college. I knew God had called me to preach, and I was the son of a pastor. I went to Bible college thinking I knew everything. Oh, I was sorely mistaken. I knew so very little. I, I, could, I could probably give you most of the Bible trivia answers, and, and I, could, I could quote the books of Scripture, and, and I could you know, tell you a difference between Old and New Testament. But boy, this book is inexhaustible. And I learned so much in that place about God's Word. And, and, uh, and, and I learned some things about myself even while, while I was there. I learned just how much I still need to learn. I, I, learned, I learned in that place how to work hard. I had to go to school, and... Pay my own bills with a little bit of help from my parents. I had to here's a big part. I had to do my own laundry. That was a that was a trial in and of itself. I had to study and turn projects and assignments in on time. I, I had to work really hard. I had to it was there that I had to convince my wife to marry me. Probably the hardest work of all. I had to do all of this while maintaining my relationship with the Lord and while serving in church ministries and growing in my relationship with my family back home and my friends in school and friends that I'd even developed back home. There were only so many hours in the day to get all of this done. And I remember being in Bible college. Most days I was up before the sun, and I was up until long after that sun had gone down in the sky. I learned during those years in Knoxville, Tennessee, how to work hard. I learned, I learned during those years the call of God on my life was real. I learned the call of God was real. I had surrendered to the Lord's call in my life as a junior in high school, but I have to tell you that experience alone was not sufficient to get me through four years of Bible college and through almost 23 years of ministry since. Repeatedly throughout my time there, God reaffirmed in me that his call was indeed uh, for me to serve him in this capacity and to preach God's word. And that kept me engaged and committed during hard times in which I felt like giving up and giving in. Fourth thing I learned in that place, that I never thought that I would ever live, but God led me there for a time. I learned that I can trust God. I learned I can trust God. I graduated debt-free, I had a wife, I learned much more about the Bible, I learned much more about myself, and I left there with an increased faith and confidence that my God was real and that he can be trusted. Just as God used a place like Knoxville, Tennessee in my life in those years, he used a place like Goshen, Egypt to transform his people and grow their faith in him. Here's a question this morning. Do you have a place like this that you can look to? And think of the way that God led you to that place and think of what he taught you there, the unique things that he did in your life in that place. It is, possible, is, is it possible that God is using this very season where you're at right now Uh, the the fact that you're living in Cleveland, Ohio, and that you've uh, developed the friends that you have and that God has led you to this church and that he has allowed me to serve as your pastor. Is it possible that God is using all of these things to do a transformative work in you and in your life? I want us to consider Joseph's family in Goshen today. What happened in this place? What did they learn in this place? And why, why was it? Why was it? Because Joseph was very intentional about settling them in Goshen. Why was it that Joseph put them here to begin with? I think I think if we'll consider these few verses that we read, we can come to a better understanding of just what God did there, what took place there, and what they learned there, and why God put them there to begin with. So number one, I want you to consider with me as we walk through this passage of scripture, I want us to consider, first of all, the reunion that took place at Goshen. The reunion that took place at Goshen. The Bible tells us in verses 29 and 30 that a, a, a reunion took place there. And I have to tell you what is recorded in these two verses is one of, maybe not the, the greatest, but it's one of the most dramatic and emotional scenes in all of Scripture. For more than two decades, Jacob believed his son was dead. and We've talked much about that. Until one day, he received a message from his sons that Joseph wasn't dead. Joseph was alive, and not only was he alive, but he was thriving in the land of Egypt. He was a leader there. God was using him in a great way. Of course, those were the days before you could buy an airline ticket and just go to the closest airport and hop on an airplane and be where you wanted to be in a few hours. And so there would have been probably a lengthy period of time between when Jacob received the word that Joseph was alive and thriving and he had to pack all of his belongings up and that they had to get on those wagons and they had to travel from there, from Canaan all the way down to Egypt. They're getting settled there in Goshen. Joseph gets word, my family is here. Joseph, the Bible says in verse number 29, prepared himself, he made ready his chariot and he went to present himself to his father and what a scene this must have been. Now the reunion features some key distinctives that should be really, I think to myself, should be present in, in the relationships between fathers and sons and really should be present in, in the relationships between parents and children across the board, whether fathers and sons or not. Notice notice first of all, I, I find in this text that this reunion features Joseph's desire or the fact that Joseph was eager to display his accomplishments before his father. Look at the Bible says in verse number 29. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel his father to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And before going to his father, he, the Bible says he made ready his chariot. And he presented himself to him. And he did so. The, the indication here, Bible scholars believe that what is, what is being written here and what is being said and the way that it's being said indicates, indicates that he presented himself to his father in all of his royal majesty and glory. Just as a young child is eager to show off his best work and abilities to his father, it's important to note that that desire, listen, listen, dads, that desire never really dissipates. Boys, little boys, they, they, they want to show, show their daddy how strong they are. Dad, feel my muscles. Come real close. Look what I can do. Dad, I've been, you've been at work, and I've been working on my jump shot. Dad, come watch me shoot the basketball in the backyard. Hey, Dad, I, I, I figured out how to, how to ride a bike. I suppose I should tell you how I learned how to ride a bike. You want to know, don't you? I couldn't do it for the longest time. My dad would try to help me. Get on the bike, son, pedal. You remember this, Dad? He remembers it well. He's like, don't tell this story. Please don't tell this story. I'm going to tell this story. You need to hear it. I remember very vividly, he told me one day, he had he'd grown frustrated. And I, and truthfully, I was just being fearful and afraid. And he knew I had it in me. And he looked at me. You remember this, Dad? He looked at me. He said, son, I'm going to work. By the time I come home from work today, you better have figured out how to learn this, ride this bike. <laughs> or else, do you know when he came home, I was riding laps around the block, man? I had... <laughs> I had figured that thing out. Sometimes we just need a little motivation, right? And you better believe when he showed up, I said, Dad, Dad, come outside. Let me show you what I can do on this bike. And he was glad because he didn't have to follow through on the threat that he had made to me a little bit earlier in the day. <laughs> but but isn't, isn't that how it works? And isn't it interesting? Here's Joseph, and he's an adult man now. He's well into his 30s. He, heard, he hears Dad's in Goshen. And he cleans his cherry real well. <laughs> and he gets all dressed up. And he wants to show his dad, Dad, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. And dads, can I help you to understand? Your boys and your girls, they just want you to be proud of them. And, and can I say, can I say to those of you that are children, hey, listen, don't run from that fear. Man, your, your parents want the best things for you. And work hard and be diligent. And I think to myself, in this in this reunion that takes place, that there is a sincere desire by Joseph to show off to his dad, not in a not in a in a prideful, arrogant way, but just to say, Dad, look what I've been able to do. Dad, look what I've done. Dad, Dad, consider, consider you invested in me, you poured into me, and look what I've been able to accomplish. But not only do we see that Joseph was eager to display his accomplishments. We see, secondly, that Joseph was eager to show his father affection. The end of verse number 29, the Bible says, and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Joseph hugged and wept with Benjamin, his brother, in Genesis 45, 14. But here, here with his father, the Bible says, he hugged his neck and he wept on it a good while. Every family is different. I am I'm well aware of that, but I want to encourage you this morning to sort of, if you can, push through your past, and and, and even if you didn't grow up in a home that showed much affection, do what you can to try to push through that and show affection to your family anyways. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for us to hug one another. It's a good thing for us to speak affectionate words to one another. I personally don't like to cry in front of my wife and my children. I just don't like to. I I, I don't know why that is when it starts to happen. I usually feign that my allergies are kicking up, and the problem is I don't have any allergies, and so that excuse goes out the window. I've got something dusty in my eye. I don't know. But you know, the truth of the matter is it's probably not a bad thing. It's probably not a bad thing for our children to see us cry every once in a while. It's probably not a bad thing for our our wives to see that side of us. You you do understand that that those emotions are a gift that God has given to us. It's a way for us to sort of communicate how we're feeling on the inside. It's a way for us to communicate that to those that are on the outside who cannot see how we're feeling on the inside except we show them through our emotions. The Bible says that they hugged one another and and they wept. I I envisioned this wasn't just like a little tear rolling down the cheek. I envisioned this as sort of a sort of a snotty, you know, messy, blubbering type of a ball, type of a thing. Like we are really, really emotional in all of this. Almost maybe what you would do, and if you'd you know had to go to a funeral or something like that. He was eager to show his father affection. There's no shame in crying, despite what our mind might try to tell us or maybe how we were raised might might have conditioned us to think. Sometimes, listen, sometimes in life we just need a really good hug or a really good embrace and maybe even a really good cry. This reunion featured Joseph's desire to display his accomplishments, his desire to show his father affection. But notice thirdly that we discover in this reunion that Jacob blessed his son Joseph with words of affirmation. Look in verse number 30. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. So we see Joseph sort of taking the lead in this reunion. He is eager to display his accomplishments, and he's eager to show his father affection. But we find here in verse number 30 that Jacob now sort of takes the lead role here, and and, and Jacob speaks words of affirmation to his son Joseph. He had now seen evidence of Joseph's accomplishments. They had embraced and wept upon one another. And now Jacob lifts his voice and, he's, and he blesses Joseph with words of affirmation. You know what he's essentially saying here? He's saying, some of you read that and you thought, that doesn't sound like words of affirmation to me. Let me die. <laughs> but you know what he's saying here? He's essentially saying to his son, my life is now complete. This is, this, is all that I've, this is all that I've really wanted. This is all that I've been living for. He is essentially saying, listen, if, if God decides to take me now, it's okay. Because I've seen your face. And because I know you're well. I mean, that's really, that's really what he's saying. And imagine, imagine that, what that must have done to a, young, to a young man like that. Who looks at his father. All he wants is for his father to be proud of him. And his dad essentially is saying, son, you have no idea how proud I am of you. Son, you have no idea. In fact, if I were to die today, it'd be be okay with me because I've accomplished everything that I've ever wanted to accomplish in life. Everything that I could have possibly done, everything that I could have possibly wanted in life has been completed in you. He speaks words of affirmation. Don't ever forget, don't ever forget how powerful your words are words of blessing and words of affirmation and words of comfort. So we see that this place is special because it's where the long-awaited reunion between Joseph and his father took place. But I want you to know, secondly, we discover not only a reunion at Goshen, but we also discover some reminders that this family were, were presented with or were reminded of in Goshen. We read of them in verses 31 and 32, and there's essentially three things that I want you to see from this text. The The first reminder the first lesson I suppose that really must have hit home in a very personal way there in Goshen is this one and here it is number one the first reminder is this the last was now first in Goshen this family learned a key spiritual principle and that is this the last is now first Look what it says in verse number 31. The Bible tells us there, and Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him. Joseph was hated and, despised by his brothers so much that they sold him into slavery and they lied about what they had done to him. As they watched him being led away in chains, they must have thought, they must have thought in their minds, we'll never have to see him again. They certainly never envisioned seeing him riding in a chariot out to Goshen. They never imagined seeing him with servants. All, no, no, they sold him as a slave. They, they, they made him to be a servant. They never dreamed the day would come that he would come riding into Goshen and he would have servants all around him doing exactly what he was asking them to do. They never dreamed that day would come. Oh, they never imagined They never imagined when they stripped him of that coat of many colors and he probably was just wearing uh, perhaps just something that was underneath, an undergarment of some sort. They never dreamed that they would see him someday wearing a regal robe. But now he was oh and his and his hands likely those hands had been placed in chains or ropes and he was uh, he was positioned in a posture of of service and humility as he made the walk uh, from where they were uh, down into egypt and they never dreamed they never dreamed those same hands that had been bound in chains and ropes would someday be holding a regal scepter but but i remind you a key spiritual principle and that is this that those who will be first will be last. And those who will make themselves a servant of all, those are the ones that the Lord Jesus Christ chooses to magnify in his own time and according to his plan and according to his will and purpose. Now, now Joseph is the one in charge. Joseph has the power to to turn them into slaves and into servants if he so chooses. Joseph could have their hands bound, but instead he says, I'm gonna go, I myself am gonna go and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, I'm gonna let him know you are here and I'm gonna let him know that you are under my care and that I'm going to be responsible for you and he's gonna be blessed to know that my family has arrived. Oh, the reminders in Goshen The last is now first. Now Joseph was beloved. Now he was wealthy. He was a leader. He was held in honor. He had access to Pharaoh. He was prepared, therefore, to intercede before him on their behalf. He who had been last was now first and a leader among those who had despised and mistreated him. Notice there's a second reminder that they learn in Goshen, not only the first was now, the last was now first, but notice secondly, the second reminder is this. Here's what they learned in Goshen. They learned we are not home yet. We aren't home yet. Look what the Bible says in verse 31. He says, I'm going to go to Pharaoh and say unto him, my brethren of my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. Must have been as they looked around and they heard the language being spoken and they observed the culture and the worship of the people in Egypt and they ate the food. They, they had to be constantly reminded that they weren't in Canaan anymore. And can I just remind you that truthfully, truthfully, Canaan wasn't really their home either. As at this point in time, it did not yet belong to them. God had promised to give it to them, but it would be another 400 years before they would officially take possession of it. And even at that, there would, be, there would always remain large groups of people around them that they refused to drive out of the land. And they would always share the land of Canaan to this, even to this very day. And that's some of what's happening over there is, 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 is indication of that. So so here's what we would say. Neither Canaan nor Goshen would ever really be their final and forever home. Bible tells us as much in Hebrews 11. In verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, By faith, speaking of Abraham, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Listen, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Can I just tell you, there's no such city down here like that. You know what Abraham's looking for? He's looking for his forever home. He's, he's he, listen, Canaan's great. Thank you for a land that flows with milk and honey. And thank you for all of these beautiful things and these natural resources. But he says, listen, I'm not gonna be satisfied down here with anything. My, my, my city, the city I'm looking for is the one that's foundations are made by God. The Bible goes on to tell us, In that same text, in verses 13 and 14, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Oh, that we would see ourselves as strangers and pilgrims. You know, I think one of the greatest problems of American Christianity today is we don't view ourselves as strangers and pilgrims on the earth. No, we, we, we view ourselves far differently than that. We've made ourselves quite at home in this place. We've, we, we've, gotten, we've gotten our eye on, on the wrong goal. Instead of looking for that city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, we're looking at this city, and we're trying to figure out how we can uh, make ourselves rich here in this city. Oh, but not these Old Testament saints. No, they all died in faith. They were strangers and pilgrims on the earth for they say that such things, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Verse number 16, but now they desire a better country. That is in heavenly. Do I have to remind you that that doesn't exist down here. Despite what those from West Virginia might say, almost heaven, right? He says, they're looking for a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Listen, no matter where you may go in this life as a believer, can I just gently remind you that nothing, nothing down here is truly home. Canaan, their former home, And their someday future home and their promised home and Goshen, their adopted and current home, left them in a position of longing for a real home. A city that have foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Have you you and I grown so comfortable down here that we've sort of lost a deep desire and longing for home? I love the place I live, the memories that we've made there, who lives there with me? But I want you to understand something. That's my my earthly home. And by the way, I love this place. This is my church home. And I think every Christian ought to have a church home. But can I remind you, listen, what what is really home for us is not the address that you reside at. And it's not even this place. It's that city. It's that heavenly country. And, And let me ask this question. Are you going there? Well, some of us, when we hear about heaven, we rejoice and we celebrate and we think, my, just a little while, and I'm going to walk through those pearly gates and I'm going to see my Savior and my loved ones gone before. But, you know, there's some in this room maybe even, some in this room who are not certain that that heavenly country is their country, that that heavenly home is their home. Reminders of Goshen, the last is now first. Reminders in Goshen, we aren't home yet. There's a third reminder that I discover in Goshen, and that is this, all along the way, God has been faithful. Would you look in verse number 32, the Bible says, and the men, he says, I'm gonna tell the Pharaoh, the men, my brothers, my father, their shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle, and they have brought, they've brought with them their flocks, plural, and their herds, plural, and all that they have. Joseph intended to tell Pharaoh that his family had come and that they had brought all of their possessions with them. These flocks and herds, listen, when they looked at them, they were more than just sheep. They were more than just cattle. Uh, They were visual reminders of the faithfulness and goodness of God. You see, God had blessed Jacob with much from a young age the bible is clear that god made jacob to prosper why because because jacob was uh, was was the son of the, the grandson really of the promise God had blessed Jacob and his family by sending Joseph on up ahead of the famine that was so devastating to preserve for them a posterity in the earth. Joseph said as much. So even when they looked at Joseph and they saw him dressed the way that he was, riding in that chariot, it was a visual reminder that God has been faithful to us all along the way. You see, if Joseph wasn't standing there in that place, it is very likely, very possible, that not only would they have perished in that famine, but the vast majority of the world would have perished as well. But no, listen, remember, remember this, church family, God is faithful. God is faithful to send somebody on up ahead. God is faithful as they looked at their flocks and their herds, and they looked at their possessions. Perhaps some of them had servants with them as well. God had been good. He had been faithful to them, and those reminders were abundantly clear there in Goshen. Hasn't God been so good and faithful to us? Boy, we are blessed beyond what we deserve. I feel like even in this season of Christmas, it almost feels like the rich get richer. I don't need any gifts. My family, they'll, they'll say, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And, and I, I saw something recently. I said, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man. I'm an adult man. If I want something, I just go buy it, for crying out loud, right? I don't even know what to say to them. I don't know what to say to them. I, I've resorted to saying, I want you to get along with your siblings. That's what I want for Christmas. Dad, I'd rather just spend my money than do that, right? But hasn't, hasn't God been good and faithful to us? Aren't we blessed beyond measure? The vast majority, I I, I may not be speaking of everyone in this room, but most of you I know, you're going to get in a car after church and you're going to drive to wherever you live. Maybe you're going to go to a restaurant first, sit down and eat a good meal, drive to where you live. It's raining outside. It's sort of nasty today. But, boy, we walk into that home and it's warm and it's dry and it's comfortable. We sit in comfortable furniture. We wear nice clothes. We drive nice cars. We have a beautiful church to worship in. Most of you have good jobs that you go to and you work, and those of you that aren't working, maybe it's because you're retired, you worked all of your life, and and now it's time to let somebody else work, I suppose, just a little bit. But Hasn't God been faithful to us? Hasn't God been good to us? Can you look look at your life? Can you observe the, the life that you're living in the place where you are, and can you just for a moment put aside maybe some of the stresses and some of the anxieties, and can you be reminded of this truth all along the way? God's been faithful. He's been good to me. And I'm, by the way, I'm about as undeserving of his faithfulness and goodness as anybody can imagine. And yet God has been faithful to me nonetheless. But notice we see not only the reunion that takes place at Goshen, and we've seen the reminders that come from Goshen, but can I say thirdly and finally, I think we find in verses 33 and 34 the reason that Joseph planted them in Goshen. I think, I think what he's telling them in verses 33 and 34, he's telling them, number one, he says, you're going to be in this world, you're going to be in Egypt, but I don't want you to be of this world. Therefore, therefore I'm going I'm to put you out just a little ways. See, Joseph had lived in Egypt long enough to know that it presented, listen, it presented, that culture, that p- culture presented some real po- problems for God's chosen people. You see, at this point in time, the Egyptians did not worship like God's people worshipped, And they didn't always live like God's people were to live. Truthfully, as we consider God's chosen people, we have to admit they didn't always do the right things either, did they? That the struggle is, is real in all of our lives. And so here's what Joseph did. I believe he strategically put them in Goshen so that they could be near him and under his watchful eye and care, while at the same time being separate from some of the cultural influences that would have been a sure temptation to them living in that land. Goshen was the region in Egypt nearest to where they had come from nearest to Canaan, someday, someday they were going to leave, and they believed this by faith, they were going to leave there. They were going to leave Goshen and return to Canaan. And so by settling in Goshen, they would be that much closer to the land God had promised them to return to, and they would be that much further away from the land that would have corrupted them and would have given them a lot of problems and issues. That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting to me. In other words, if they must live in Egypt, Joseph would do what he could to make sure that Egypt wouldn't live in them. Can I just say, church family, we have to live down here. We don't have any choice in the matter. God has planted us here. But if we must live here, may we determine and may we make sure that down here doesn't live in us. That, that, that we're in this world, sure. I mean, here I live but I'm not of this world. I'm not living for this world's uh, possessions. I'm not living for this world's causes. I'm not living for this world's philosophies and ideas. I'm down here, but I'm not of here. As believers, we often read God's word and we discover principles and standards for living found in God's word. And can I say there's a good reason for these things. The reason is this, God has left us here, but his intention is not that the world get into us, but that our influence gets into the world for good and for God. And that's what God intended to use the children of Israel to do in the beginning. The Bible says in Exodus nine sixteen, and in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. God said, I'm gonna plant you right in the middle of Canaan. Right in the, I mean, if you, were to, if you were to lay out a globe uh, east to west and you were to lay it there, you would see that they literally are right in the middle of everything. And God says, I've planted you there and I've done these deeds in your life so that the whole world can recognize that I am real and that I've blessed you and that I've done all of these things for you. Can I just tell you that God has planted you where he's planted you and he's planted me where he's planted me and God's intention is that this world doesn't get into me but that I let my light so shine before, God, before man that they may see my good works and that they might glorify my Father God which is in heaven. That's what it's all about. So Joseph said, you're going to live live in Goshen. Far enough away so that you don't get impacted and influenced by the cultural trends and all of the things that are happening, but close enough so that I can see you and that maybe, just maybe, your testimony will begin to rub off on others. There's a second reason for Goshen, not only in the world, but not of the world, but the second reason he gives in verse 34, and that is this, because Egyptians despised pilgrims. Verse 34, ye shall say thy servant's trade has been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Shepherds were wanderers. They were pilgrims. They were always in search of the next field, the next stream to take their flocks and their herds. On the other hand, the Egyptians were a civilized, settled people in their way of living. They lived in cities. They lived in, in in walled homes. They did not dwell in tents like Jacob and his family had done. According to John Phillips, the Egyptians divided everyone into one of, at least at this point in time, they divided everyone into one of seven castes or guilds. No one could marry or worship outside of the caste they were born into. Cattlemen, listen, cattlemen or shepherds were one of the lower castes in Egypt. Joseph knew all of this, and so here's what he did. He protected his his family, by putting them in a place that was appropriate and safe for them. I tell you that as God's people, not much has changed. The world, can I just say, the world still despises us today. And By the way, that hatred and that despising to me seems to be growing by the day. This shouldn't be a surprise. We shouldn't be shocked by this. We should have seen it coming. Why? Well, because Jesus said it would come. You know what the Bible says in Matthew 24, 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. The Bible says in John 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. I don't know about you, but it's sad to me to see Christians living for the love an acceptance of the world. No, God would have us instead to live in Goshen, a place prepared and provided by him that is separate and that's appropriate for his people to live with the understanding, with the understanding, listen, the world, they hate us. They despise us. We Listen, we are an abomination to them. We don't live like them. We're wanderers. We're pilgrims. This world is not our home. No, we're looking for a heavenly city, a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Oh, Goshen's a special place. The reunion between Jacob and his son Joseph that they had been apart for more than 20 years took place in Goshen, and it teaches us some powerful lessons that ought to be present between fathers and sons. There's some reminders that we learn in Goshen. The last is now first. Don't ever forget that. You may be in a place in which you feel marginalized. You feel like you've been, you've been kind of sequestered off to a position of being last, but that's okay because God delights to lift people like that up. The last is now first in Goshen. Oh, but that's not, that's not all. We aren't home yet as we listen to the language of the people around us and as we consider the worship styles of the people around us and as we consider the loves and the affections and the passions of the people around us, we aren't home yet. We're still in Goshen. All along the way, as I, as I observe life down here, I can say this, and I hope you can say it as well, God has been faithful. And then there's some reasons for Goshen. And God, God would use Joseph to teach us some things here. And that is this, listen, we have to live in this world, but we better make sure this world doesn't live in us. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we must understand this world is not our friend. The people of this world, the philosophies of this world, the systems of this world, Jesus said it. Jesus says, they'll hate you. And don't be surprised by that. because They hated me first. And you're following me, so what, well, what, what, what did you expect? Goshen, Goshen, where are you living today? Goshen is much more than just a region for God's people to live and grow and, and be looked after by Joseph during this deadly famine. No, Joseph was the place where Joseph and, Joseph and his father, Goshen was the place where Joseph and his father were united. It was a place where they were reminded of several great truths and it was a place where they could live in Egypt safely without being overwhelmed by Egypt's culture and worship. Thank God for Goshen and for the lessons that it teaches us.